0: Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags are set to play USD tonight. We previewed the Toreros on Wednesday's show, but today will be a look at my five things to watch in segment one before grading. listeners' submitted hot takes in the second segment and breaking down Courtney Vandersloot's contract negotiations with the Chicago Sky, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Tags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. And, of course, those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube, we are over 300 subscribers, trying to get to 500 subscribers before the national title game this year. I know that we can do it. If you're a listener to the show, haven't subscribed yet on YouTube, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. All right, we're still looking at USD today before the Thursday evening 6 p.m. game against the Toreros, one of the teams Gonzaga has yet to face this year. We talked about them a little bit on Wednesday's show. Sam Scholl has this team in a good direction. They have a ton of transfers. They're in a somewhat similar spot to UP where they are rebuilding, although they are further along in that rebuild and have had a lot of success on the transfer market so far. A good defensive team, but ultimately not a team that I think is going to challenge the Gonzaga too much in conference play this year. I laid out five things that I'm going to be watching for in this game specifically. Number one is then the emergence of freshman guard Hunter Salas recently. In my notes, I just put more Hunter Salas, please. We have seen a lot more of Hunter Salas the last few games, something that fans had been clamoring for for quite a while. He was kind of the the fourth guard, clearly, behind Andrew Nembhard, Andrew Bolden, and Nolan Hickman. I don't think that that was undeserved, and that's not a knock on Salas. It's just that all three of those guys are very, very good, and we're filling very specific roles, while Salas was and still is kind of filling the role as like an Energizer Bunny, a Cutter, a guy who moves well without the basketball, plays great defense, but isn't the primary ball handler, isn't a shooter necessarily, is kind of just more of a glue guy type doing all of the little things. Uh, And that's a great role for him, and he's been filling it spectacularly. But ultimately, next year, if he returns, which the expectation is that he will, he's going to be a primary ball handler. He's going to need to be a shooter. He's going to want to develop those skills to be the, the lead man because that's the skills that's going to get him in the NBA and, of course, the skills that are going to help him lead this team next season so we've been seeing more of that from him lately he's been playing more uh, over his last game eight games he's averaging 18 minutes per game seven and a half points about one assist and about a half a steal over those eight games he is also shooting a blistering 66.7 from the field He's making two-thirds of his field goal attempts he's also shooting 43 percent from three Yes, that is three for seven. It is a minuscule sample size, but quite frankly, I am totally okay with that. Him taking about a three per game and knocking him down at that clip is totally fine with me. The three-point shot is still developing. We heard from Mark Few recently, about a week ago, I believe, that they have been working with Hunter Salas on his shot. They've redone huge aspects of it, so it makes a lot of sense why he was not taking a lot of shots early in the year as he was still developing that jumper, still working on it. Now you're starting to see the confidence. The shot looks good. It's clear it's been redone. Dan Dickow brought it up on a recent broadcast. You're starting to see more of that confidence from him. Uh, I think for the rest of the season, and particularly games like this, when it's a not very good opponent, and the next game coming up is a better opponent. They have BYU on Saturday. There is no strong reason, depending on how the game goes, of course, for Andrew Nemhard to play a huge chunk of minutes in this game, and I think Hunter Salas is a great beneficiary of that. He should play 20 to 25 minutes in this game, get a lot of run, have a great opportunity to get a lot of steals to play against. Good, solid physical guards at San Diego. You know, they're not certainly NCAA tournament caliber guys right now, but they have a couple of bigger guards who can kind of body them a little bit. And I think Salas is going to have a fun time with that challenge. And I think this is a potential for him to have a really, really good game. Number two, how do the Zags use Drew Timmy? It's been an interesting couple of games for Drew Timmy. Uh, he's obviously had that really bad first half against San Francisco a few weeks ago where he was, I think, 1 for 8 in the first half. He finished that game with 23 points, obviously not a bad night per se, but he was only 9 for 20 from the field. And then you had the LMU game where he was 4 for 7, a much more efficient game, but he only took 7 shots and only scored 8 points against a team that he would normally score well over 20 points against quite easily. And then against Portland, he only shot 6 for 13 from the field, another kind of eyebrow-raising performance from Drew Timmy. I want to be very clear, I am not worried about Drew Timmy. I am not worried about this team if Drew Timmy is not quite shooting as well as he has historically. I don't think that this is any cause for major concern, but it is something to watch. That is certainly the situation. What has been great, and what I think will ultimately help Gonzaga long term, is the fact that they don't need Drew Timmy to win games. They don't need Drew Timmy to be efficient. Obviously, you could still beat Portland without Drew Timmy, but if Gonzaga looked kind of flustered and confused and didn't know where to go with the basketball, even if they ultimately won, that would be a cause for concern. That is not what happened against Portland. They shot 41 threes because Shantae Leggins and their strategy was take away the post, make them beat you from the outside. And Gonzaga dropped 104 points against the Pilots and was able to do it. That strategy is not necessarily going to work against everybody. But what has been nice is that the Zags can rely on more interior post-scoring, even if it's not Drew Timmy. Last year, they did not have that. If Drew Timmy wasn't scoring in the paint, Gonzaga was not scoring in the paint. This year, you have Chet Holmgren, who is a complete monster down low. He gets a lot of attention for his outside shooting, and justifiably so lately. He's been an incredible three-point shooter it feels like he never misses his threes but he is a highly efficient low post scorer he's obviously a rim runner he's good in good alley-oop situations but back to the basket scoring he's good at that too and then you have anton watson who last year was not a back to the basket scorer, was not much of an interior post presence offensively at all now he has developed into a very very good low post scorer. the zags don't need drew timmy to be you know, shooting 65% from the field and scoring 25 points every night for them to win. It's not a bad thing when it happens. (laughs) Far from it, in fact, but it is not something they necessarily need. And I'll be interested to see how aggressive they are at trying to get Drew Timmy the basketball in this game or if they look to go to other options to still get points on the board. Number three, and it kind of ties into that one, and it's been on here multiple times. How does Gonzaga look beyond the arc? Uh, And more importantly, I think in this case, how does San Diego respond defensively? San Diego is one of the best defensive teams in the WCC. Part of that, at least numbers-wise, is because they have not played (laughs) Gonzaga yet. Everybody who has played Gonzaga, their defensive numbers are skewed because Gonzaga scores a crap ton of points. Gonzaga's shooting 44% from beyond the arc in conference play. As I already mentioned, they took 41 threes against UP. I think it's important to note they made 18 of them, which is crazy. That is a ridiculous high rate of threes. The most threes they've made in the kennel. My main question is, is, is USD, is Sam Scholl and their staff going to try to force Gonzaga to shoot threes? Because we've seen multiple teams do this. Not just teams like UP, who kind of don't have a choice because they don't have a ton of size. Texas Texas Tech attempted to do this as well, and Gonzaga beat them from beyond the arc. Gonzaga has proved that they can do that now, something they did not have in their arsenal early in the year. Will Sam Scholl and the San Diego Toreros attempt to do that? Will they attempt to stop them from, from shooting at the perimeter? That seems risky because that allows some of Gonzaga's bigs potentially more room to operate down low. San Diego actually has an okay amount of size. Terrell Brown, a grad transfer from Pitt, is averaging uh, 2.7 blocks per game this year. Six foot 11, big body dude. You know, he's, he's good. He's not necessarily like lockdown Drew Timmy type good. There aren't a lot of players in college basketball who are good enough to do that. But I, I'm curious how San Diego responds to this barrage of three-point shooting that Gonzaga has put on lately and what that does for the Zags and, and what adjustments that may cause them to have to make. Next up, will Gonzaga's assist streak continue? And I put streak in quotes because the Zags have had 19 plus assists in their last six games, unfortunately, they have not quite had 20 six games in a row. They've had over 20 every game but one of their last six games. It's a remarkable achievement for this Gonzaga team. They're obviously, we've known that they're a good passing team. We've talked about Andrew Nempard as a Bob Cousy Award finalist, one of the best pick-and-roll point guards in the country, an outstanding passer, one of the best passers in Gonzaga history, without a doubt. But beyond that, Anton Watson, even in a reserve role, an incredible Passing big man. Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren have had their issues with turnovers this year, but by and large are good passing big men. Nolan Hickman is a great, a great backup point guard, a true point guard in that backup role. He's a great distributor as well. Just interested to see, obviously, for a team that's going to be vying to score 100 points again, if you score 100 points in a game, there's a pretty good chance your team racked up 20 plus assists because there's just a lot of points going up on the board. San Diego doesn't play at a super high pace, so they will probably attempt to slow the game down a little bit, which of course will impact Gonzaga's overall score and will also impact their ability to get more assists. It's pretty easy to get assists out in transition. If Gonzaga is able to do that multiple times, that will help keep this streak alive. And finally, will we see Caden Perry? Obviously, Dominic Harris is a question in that conversation as well. I'm more concerned about Perry because I think Gonzaga would like to get him back on the floor. They don't want to shut him down, but we're getting to the point. It's pretty close to the point where if he doesn't return this weekend, either against San Diego or against BYU, I'd be fairly, I don't want to say surprised, like super surprised, but I I would start to think that maybe he's not going to play for the rest of the season. Hopefully he's healthy soon. Obviously Gonzaga would like to get him into some of those late game situations where it's not a particularly close game, but it's an opportunity for him to get extra minutes to kind of get the feel of college basketball. You can still tell that the game speeds him up a little bit. He's got a lot. He's got a huge motor and a lot of energy, but you can tell he needs more game reps to be fully ready for a bigger role next season. And if he doesn't get those reps this year, That probably impacts his development to the point where he's maybe not a big-time contributor right away in year two. Of course, if Caden Perry's not ready, more Ben Gregg, not a bad thing because Ben Gregg is going through a lot of the same things as Caden Perry, where he's clearly talented. Uh, Clearly, the plan is for him to be a part of the future. He still has some work to do. He's still got some development he needs to do, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. More minutes in games like this where he gets those opportunities, where the coaching staff can see him in game situations and correct him and coach him and watch film with him and say, This is what this is the. What you missed, this is what you should have done here. Those kinds of education, which is much harder to do in practices and much easier to do when a player is actually in a game situation. Hopefully we get to see plenty of Ben Gregg if we don't see Caden Perry. Ideally, we see both, but if it's just Ben Greg and he gets six, seven-minute run uh, at the end of the second half and an opportunity to continue to grow and get better, that's not necessarily a bad thing as well. All right, second segment. I'm going to be grading listener-submitted hot takes Andy Locks, like we do every Thursday, just one segment of them today. But before we get there, let's talk about today's sponsor, Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season, from scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022, and it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. Alright, segment two, and folks, it's Super Week, brought to you by Get Upside, and there's no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On NFL, Locked On Bengals, and Locked On Rams will be in L.A. all week covering the big game. Alright, it's Andy Locks here on Locked On Zags Grading. Listeners submitted hot takes talking about whether they are too hot, too cold, or Or just right, we got four of them to get through today. This first one comes from Mike Miller at MillerMike123 on Twitter. He says, BYU is the fourth best team in the WCC. So I don't know if this is referring to record-wise, like where they finish at the end of the conference play, where they finish in the conference tournament, or just pure talent-wise. All of them, I think the answer is, it's just right, I guess. Right now, they are fourth in the conference in terms of conference record. They are behind San Diego, technically, who has a better conference record again in part because they have avoided playing most of the good teams so far, just the way the schedule has shaken out. I don't think that San Diego will finish ahead of BYU. I do think it is quite possible that San Francisco, who right now is a half game behind BYU, will finish ahead of them. There's a good chance they will jump them on Thursday night the, the evening I am recording this, because they are playing BYU, it's going to be a huge game for bubble implications. Uh, this game, there's a pretty good chance that this game knocks somebody off of a a line in the NCAA tournament right now. And that's unfortunate, because I want both these teams to make the NCAA tournament. It's not just good for Gonzaga. Certainly for USF, it would be a tremendous accomplishment for a program that has has this storied basketball history dating all the way back to the 50s, but hasn't been good or relevant in basketball in decades. It would be great to see them back on that stage. Uh, the fact that they were in conversation for top 25 votes this year is already an incredible accomplishment for Todd Golden and that squad, but they deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. If they lose to BYU, I think that's a pretty pretty close to a death sentence for their ability to make the NCAA tournament. If they pull off a victory here, they're definitely still very much in the running for an 8, 9, 10, 11 seed range. But it's significantly problematic for BYU, who would now have lost to B, to Pacific, to Santa Clara, and to San Francisco. That is a tough sell. And, of course, to Gonzaga, that is a tough sell for the Cougars to end up making it. I wouldn't be surprised, BYU, they don't have a lot of size. They rely really heavily on Alex Barcelo. Uh, Caleb Loner has been really rough this season. His best game has been the game against Gonzaga, but other than that, he has not been great. The rest of their guard play has been fine, but it hasn't really been quite up to par. They had some great games earlier in the year, blew the doors off of a struggling Oregon squad in the non-conference slate, but right now they just have not looked like a team that's capable of doing much damage in March. And so, if they don't if they don't right the ship very soon, they probably will not find themselves playing in March. Next one comes from Winston via Gmail. He says, Julian Strother returns and wins the Julius Irving Award in 2022-2023. It's probably too hot just in the sense that uh, it's really hard to predict who's going to win the best small forward in the country this, you know, uh, well before the next season even begins. I will say right now, if Julian Strother does return, which I think is... Probably more likely than not at this point. I have not seen his name on a ton of draft boards. He hasn't been super strongly in that discussion just yet. Obviously, there's still plenty of basketball to be played. And beyond that, there's still workouts to be done and things like that. His name could very easily start cropping up on those lists soon. But I think it's, I would say it's more likely that he returns at this point. If Julian Strother returns, he will be on the Julius Irving Award watch list without a doubt without a doubt. Unquestionably, he'll be on that list. He's one of Gonzaga's best scorers already. He's developing into a more consistent outside shooter. He's a phenomenal rebounder. He's good at moving without the basketball. He has turned himself into a very capable defensive player, and he's still just a sophomore. His ability to continue to improve, he will be one of Gonzaga's best players next year if he returns, and I think he would absolutely be in the conversation for Julius Serving Award. I don't think this is far-fetched at all. I think it's very possible that Julian. Comes back to school, wins the Dr. J award. I think it's very possible. I don't know that it's likely. Obviously, it's hard to predict something like that so early in advance, but this wouldn't really surprise me if this were to go down. Next one comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, The Zags don't have a single digit game between now and the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. He said, I'm starting to get that vibe again. Yeah, I think the only team that is really going to significantly challenge them in terms of keeping a game somewhat close is St. Mary's. I've talked about St. Mary's a couple of times on this show recently. Obviously, Gonzaga has yet to play them. They are scheduled to play them on the 12th and the 26th, two of the Saturdays in the month of February, obviously, at home on the 12th and on the road in Moraga on the 26th. St. Mary's, the recipe hasn't changed Uh, for Randy Bennett and the Gales. They play this really slow, snail's pace style of basketball offensively. They play very good defense, uh, and they keep the score pretty low. They have been good at that. Lately, they've been scoring more points, which has been surprising to see. They scored over 80 a handful of times uh, in recent games, mostly against not very good WCC opponents, but still uh, something that Randy Bennett's squads haven't done all that much. They're starting to click offensively. They have the depth down low, in Dan Foto and Matthias Toss to at least frustrate Drew Timmy, frustrate Chet Holmgren. They have the ability to score in the paint as well, even against a guy like Chet Holmgren. They're going to get their buckets down there. I think they'll keep it close. I I think this is probably too hot because I think at least one of those games, probably in Moraga, after they've already played one time, Randy Bennett will make some adjustments. That crowd's going to be popping off. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Gonzaga won that game by... 12, 15, I wouldn't be shocked if they won it by 20 plus because Gonzaga's really, really, really good and St. Mary's has to play basically perfect to keep the game close. But it would not surprise me if that game ends up being kind of just a slog that Gonzaga wins something like 73 to 65. And so then you you have an eight-point victory. Maybe it was never actually that close. Uh, and you kind of knew Gonzaga was going to win all along. It was just going to be an ugly one. Like, that's the kind of game that Randy Bennett likes to give you. And I kind of think that that's what's going to happen. It might end up being 10-12, somewhere in there. You know, ten a 10-point game is a, is a bit arbitrary. So it's not something that matters all of that much. But I do think that there's a chance St. Mary's keeps it close. Other than that, though, yeah, I think there's no other team. I don't think BYU is going to do it. I don't think San Francisco is going to do it. I don't think Santa Clara is going to do it. I don't think the first round game in the NCAA tournament is going to do it. I'm not confident the second round game in the NCAA tournament would do it either. So, yeah, I think we could make it all the way to the second weekend without a double or without a single-digit game, provided Gonzaga is able to knock off St. Mary's two or potentially three times uh, while keeping the score over 10 points. And finally, the last one, the second one of the show from Winston. He says, Chet Holmgren wins the Rookie of the Year next year but not with the Orlando Magic. Yeah, obviously the Orlando is kind of the the dream destination for Chet, he'd be reunited with Jalen Suggs, who was his high school teammate in Minnesota. They, of course, were not teammates at Gonzaga, but obviously kind of had that close relationship as well as one and duns at this program. Uh, Orlando is going to have a top three pick, most likely. They are going to take a big man, most likely, because they have a lot of good young guards, including Suggs himself, of course. Uh, So they're going to be in the mix for Paolo Banquero, They're going to be in the mix for Jabari Smith from Auburn, and they're going to be in the mix for Chet Holmgren, and they're going to end up with one of those three guys most likely so I don't think it's crazy to think he ends up in Orlando but obviously if you're betting you're going to bet the field as opposed to Orlando I could see him ending up in Houston I could see him ending up in Indiana there's a lot of other places that Chad Holmgren could start his professional basketball career in terms of winning the rookie of the year it's gonna to be tough Jabari Smith and Palo Banchero, obviously were already mentioned they're going to be studs from day one Unquestionably, they're going to be stars on whatever team they end up with. They're going to get the basketball a lot. Jaden Ivey is going to be very, very good. And then, there, of course, there are other players that kind of emerge. Franz Wagner wasn't considered a front runner for the Rookie of the Year uh, this season, and yet here he is as a legitimate candidate for that award right now. Uh, obviously, Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley are still squarely in that conversation, as you would expect them to be, but there's going to be somebody who emerges from this class. Uh, maybe it's a Johnny Davis type player. Uh, maybe it's ben and Mathurin from Arizona, somebody like that who emerges and becomes a legitimate Rookie of the Year candidate. But Chet Holmgren winning Rookie of the Year and playing somewhere other than Orlando, neither of those two things are very surprising to me, so I could absolutely see that happening. All right, two segments down, one to go. This one we're going to discuss the latest news about Chicago Sky star Courtney Vandersloot. But before we get there, let's talk about get upside. Hey, Zacks fans, Andy Patton here with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about called GetUpside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code SCORE and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back. And there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out at any time to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code SCORE. SCORE. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, switching over to talk about Courtney Vandersloot. For those of you who missed this news, first of all, shout out Wednesday was National Girls and Women in Sports Day. It was kind of a a interesting timing for this news about Courtney Vandersloot's contract dispute to come out on a day that celebrates women in sport. But I just want to give a shout out to wonderful women that I have worked with in sports uh, my first job at seattle university was under a woman boss uh, my first job at the university of portland was under a female boss a silver medalist at the beijing olympics uh, for the uh, the water polo team allison nodler uh, my boss at uh, the seahawks wire when i wrote for the Seattle seahawks liz matthews uh, so i've i've worked under a lot of women in sports and they are incredible uh, it is so Inspiring to see the work that they do and certainly uh, distressing to see how people react sometimes to women in sports. And obviously we had recent stories of that with the Jeff Garcia quotes from the former San Francisco quarterback who was going after Mina Kimes, which is never, ever, ever a good idea to go after Mina Kimes. And it went very poorly for him, obviously. Uh, So celebrate women in sports. That's my main message here. But it was also a good opportunity to talk about Courtney Vandersloot, somebody who I talked about a lot over the offseason as they were in the process of winning the WNBA championship for the Chicago Sky, an incredible accomplishment for Courtney and her wife, Allie Quigley, who is one of their best players as well. Uh, Courtney was the catalyst for that championship. She played an, a, such a critical role as the starting point guard and all-star—not cal- not an all-star caliber player, an all-star player, one of the best passers in WNBA history, and certainly one of the best passers last season. And now, after Chicago wins this championship, they do all their celebration. Now we get this report from Holly Rowe at ESPN, who's covered women's basketball for a long time there, that the offer from the Chicago Sky was disrespectful. Was the word that Sluts Camp used, and that the Russian team that she is playing for overseas wants to keep her overseas and sign her to a contract that would prevent her from coming back to the WNBA. Now, one thing that needs to be noted here that is maybe not familiar to people who don't follow the WNBA particularly closely most players. Slut has always done this. It's part of the reason that her jersey retirement ceremony took so long to happen and still unfortunately has not happened because of COVID. Most WNBA players, even the all-stars, the ones like Courtney, play another season of basketball after the WNBA season's over overseas. The reason that they do this is because they make a lot, a lot more money. Women's basketball overseas is compensated significantly better than the WNBA. The WNBA season is not very long. I believe it is of 30 or so games, including the playoffs. So you have nine months of no basketball and this very small salary that you made during the basketball season. So it is not surprising to see these players go overseas, play in Europe, make a ton more money, and then come back and play in the WNBA. It was always a matter of time until somebody, somebody in the WNBA was going to push the envelope, was going to be the person to say, hey. Why don't we just stay over there, continue to make more money and not like like playing in the WNBA is obviously, you know, when you compare it to the NBA, the NBA is the pinnacle for basketball, right? Like that's the highest league. There are great leagues in Europe and this is no disrespect to them because a ton of players who are in Europe could obviously play in the NBA. But the goal is to get to the NBA for women's basketball. The WNBA was kind of the first league that was started, and it was always kind of viewed as the goal as well. But if they're not getting compensated as well, at some point you have to ask the question of, like, why don't I play somewhere else? And Courtney seems to be at least least starting that conversation, at least threatening to. I don't know what's going to happen. These are classic negotiation tactics. Sloot revealed that she felt the offer was disrespectful. She put that out in the media in part to get people riled up, to get people on her side. Chicago's not going to put anything out in the media, but this puts a little pressure on them to potentially up the offer. Maybe they were planning to up the offer all along. They're going to do so. Chicago will re-sign her. Everything will be fine. That is very possibly an outcome that happens here. But there's also the legitimate outcome that Courtney decides to not play in the WNBA next year, and she plays overseas, and she makes more money. If she does that, a lot of other things could happen. I don't know Allie Quigley's contract situation off the top of my head, but I would not want to live for an entire year away from my wife, so there's the potential opportunity that that costs them somebody else. And beyond that, Courtney's a a role model. She's an inspiration. She's a veteran player in the WNBA who's made a lot of money, who's fifth all-time in assists in the entire league's history. She's going to influence other people's decisions, and there's a possibility that if it goes well for her and she either parlays this into a bigger contract in the WNBA or has a lot of success overseas and continues to make good money, there's a chance other people follow suit, and this starts to become a trend. The worst thing that could happen to the WNBA is they are not the top tier league. They become more like the MLS in soccer where the best MLS players often go overseas and play in the EPL because that is the premier, literally the premier league for soccer on the planet. If the WNBA is not willing to compensate their players as if they are the best basketball players in the world, they are going to lose the best basketball players in the world. It is that simple. Courtney is threatening that right now, and kudos to her tremendous props for being ballsy enough to threaten this. And again, I don't know how much she is considering this. This could 100% be a negotiation tactic. She may have no interest in staying in Russia, and that's fine. That's fine if she doesn't. Threatening it is great. It's a great decision. It gets this conversation started. It allows people to recognize that, hey, maybe we should compensate these players more. And it's always been a conversation about the WNBA. It's certainly been a very prominent conversation for women's soccer uh, because they have raised a lot of concerns about their playing conditions, about their pay, about their performance as compared to the men's teams and why they should be compensated well. More all extremely legitimate points by the women's soccer program, WNBA. Similar arguments. I know people are like, well, less people go to the games. You know, there's less TV deals, less merchandise. All that's true. Nobody's saying that the WNBA players should be compensated exactly as much as NBA players. I don't think that that's an argument that is necessarily rational, but they should be compensated a lot more than they are currently. And, and there's no debate about that. If you've ever been to a WNBA game, I worked ticketing for the Seattle Storm for two seasons. Uh, they, the tickets are not cheap. They're not exorbitantly expensive, but they're not cheap. And that place is full. Seattle's a bit of an anomaly because they're they're a huge fan of women's sports in the city of Seattle. But it is not uncommon to see these WNBA arenas packed with fans, with little girls, with jerseys. Uh, They do have TV deals. Like, this is not a tiny league that can't afford to pay their players. They just aren't compensating the way that they should. And she just won the city a championship She was the catalyst for them to win it all for the first time. I... Pay is a problem in the entire WNBA, and Salute is a critical piece now in starting that conversation for women's basketball players, and if this negotiation continues and she continues this, this threat to potentially play overseas, it could have very significant ramifications for women's basketball as a whole and for the WNBA as a whole, and I'm really proud that Courtney is a Gonzaga alum and willing to have these conversations and willing to be the face of this potential movement for the WNBA because I think it's a critical thing that has long overdue for this league and she seems to be the person willing to push it along all right happy zags day can't wait to chat with you all on thursday night during the san diego game look for a reaction pod on friday of course and a preview of the byu cougars all right here on the locked on zags podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and now on youtube go to youtube.com hit search locked on zags hit that subscribe button if you have not already Finally, thank you again to those of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen, the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.